Uh, good morning, Crosspoint. Uh, my name is Dave, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad you're with us. A year ago today, uh, we gathered as a church in this building. And if you're new with us, we've only been here for about seven months. But a year ago, we took possession of this property in this building, and before any dust flew, uh, we gathered here on a Sunday morning to, uh, uh, to worship, to celebrate together. We brought in a, a flatbed trailer for a stage. We brought in bag chairs and lawn chairs and folding chairs and and sat together uh, in a room without carpet and without much, uh, um, much of anything else besides a shell of a building. And just to worship and thank God for what he was doing. And, uh, and we also broke up into areas uh, as part of the service to pray over specific ministries and aspects of Crosspoint. And needless to say, it was a significant day in our history. And too often we're prone to forget what God has done how he's been faithful and uh, led through the years, how he loves us and takes care of his church. And as, a, as your pastor, I want to continue to drive us toward a heart of gratitude and not a heart of entitlement. I don't think a heart of entitlement honors God uh, by any stretch, but I think a heart of gratitude of just, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do, not only uh, as a church, but in my life. And I want to continue to drive us toward that way. And um, if you're new to Crosspoint, uh, we, we come from humble beginnings. Um, if, if this is your first Sunday, I know you look at a bazillion lights behind me and you're like, yeah, humble beginnings, yeah, whatever. Um, but, but listen, uh, on, on day one, we gathered in a storefront without carpet and folding chairs. So it seemed fitting that the first Sunday we had here was no carpet and folding chairs and bag chairs simply just to honor the God who uh, loves his children and has provided salvation through faith alone, through grace alone. So with all that said, we thought it was appropriate just to kind of share some pictures from a year ago and celebrate what, what God has done and remember what he has done uh, a year ago and what can, he continues to do in and through us as a church. in store for us uh, in 2013. Uh, The gospel spreading lives are being changed. He has much work yet to do. Uh, He has done much, but he has much work yet to do. And I pray that we would say yes to however he leads us as a church. Today we kick off a new series that we are calling On Display. When I was a kid, I remember walking through the mall at Christmas time and seeing these incredible displays of things for sale. Uh, from toys at KB Toys. Remember that store? They couldn't jam more toys into this little closet of a space. Um, and some of you might remember that. A remote control car at Radio Shack. Like, ah, my buddy's got this remote control car. It goes so fast. I want to I wanna have the same kind of car. Or, uh, or, or think of any, practically any Christmas movie. Uh, Elf is one of our favorites at our house. It gets quoted a lot. Beef and cheese and smiling's my favorites and all these different things. And you're not Santa and Okay? You sit upon a throne of lies. And, all right, but I'm done. I could keep going. <laughs> um, Daddy, Dad. Um, okay. Um, Mr. Norwall is a good one, too. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. Um, some of you don't get any of that, and you should watch Elf, okay? Because you're missing out. Uh, but in Christmas movies, what all that to say is usually there's this city scene where you're walking down sidewalks and you're seeing these lavish displays of 
of things in the store windows, of, of things that you could buy or things that are on display. And uh, nowadays, the marketers get your name or they know your shopping trends somehow and catalogs show up at your house and your kids are looking through the catalogs all of a sudden and you're like, I want this. And wait, how'd you get that in front of you? And wh- who, who sent the American Girl doll to, uh, to a catalog to our house? And what the world? And all right, so, so this happens. You see things on display, whether it's internet, store, or catalogs that uh, land in our house. So with that thought, this is where I want to go with this series. Uh, I want to look at the characteristics or attributes, the nature of our God that, that, uh, that are on display in the Christmas story. And uh, what do we see on display revealed through this story? And so over the next uh, five weeks, we're going to tackle five different things. And we'll land on Christmas Eve. We'll finish on Christmas Eve. There's two opportunities for your family to, to come and worship and celebrate Christmas uh, with us, 10 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. But we're going to look at five different things. And, and there's obviously more than five things on display of God in the Christmas story. And so I would love for you to engage in this conversation, whether it's in your family or community group or with your friends, of, okay, what do you see in the Christmas story? What do you see of God? What do you see of His characteristics, His nature on display in the Christmas story. And today I want to talk about the glory of God and how that is on display at Christmas. If you have a Bible, go to Exodus 33. We'll get there in a minute, but um, before we get there, let's go, uh, I'll show Luke 2 here up on the screen. But Luke 2 is part of scripture that tells us the Christmas story, and we see a couple references to the glory of God in Luke 2. Uh, In particular, when the uh, angels come and visit the shepherds and announce Jesus' birth to Uh, To the shepherds, Luke 2, starting in verse 8, it goes like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So God's glory, this bright light, is is associated with angels who appear. And then, then we see this incredible moment when God becomes flesh and Emmanuel, God with us, enters this world. And all the glory and all the praise and all the credit is due to God the Father. Around our house, we have several uh, Christmas CDs and Christmas music on our iPod, and it's been playing for a long time. And, and, and one of those is Handel's Messiah. I'm not a Scrooge. I'm good with that, all right? Uh, especially my daughter and my wife just love Christmas music, and it's good. It's, um, and we, we love having it on. But Handel's Messiah is one of these CDs that we have. And uh, if you know Handel's Messiah, some of you might have even sung in it before, but one whole part is... Glory to God in the highest, and they're, and they're singing Luke 2. They're singing this scripture, and I will not sing it for you today. It's way too high and way too loud and way too big, all right? Uh, but you could YouTube it if you want to when you get home. But this idea of God's glory is all through scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. So what is it? What does it mean for us? How does this change us? Is this just some, some thing that we should know? I mean, does it actually change us? Does it actually alter uh, who we are and how we live as believers or how we, uh, how we are viewed in light of, of our Creator. And so with some of those questions, I want to go to Exodus 33. We'll start in verse 12. 
says this, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. At this point in the overall story of the Old Testament, Moses has, said to, has seen God do incredible miracles, amazing demonstrations of his power. God has delivered them from slavery. He's allowed them to cross over the Red Sea. He's part of the Red Sea, and he's allowed them to cross over on dry land. He's uh, fed them from heaven, manna from heaven. He's, he's given them water from a rock, all of that. And now Moses is saying, show me your glory, Lord. Now, when you look at the uh, Hebrew word for glory, probably one of the best English words to describe this idea is that of weight, uh, the weightiness of God, the worthiness of God. In other words, the very essence of who God is. This is what makes God, God. Moses is saying, God, I've seen your promises fulfilled. I've seen your, I've seen your power displayed. I, I've experienced your presence. I've, I've seen all of that. I'd like to see your person. I'd like to see your essence. I'd like to experience your glory, to, 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 to fully grasp the weight of who you are. And if you take a step back, you're reminded that when this interchange takes place is in the Old Testament, right? I mean, God has yet to come to this earth as a Messiah. It hasn't happened yet. God has not come to this earth with, with skin on. John 1 talks about that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, John 1, that's New Testament. It hasn't even happened here when Moses is talking about uh, asking God to show him his glory. The promised Messiah, the very Son of God, has not been born in the town of David yet. But here is Moses asking for God to show him his glory. Moses is saying, I, I want to see your person, God. Lord, I want to see the very essence of who you are. This is a very intimate request. But God had to be thinking here, if I bring all my glory, if I reveal all my glory I'm going to kill Mo. I'm going to kill Moses. And I'm not done with him yet. Because God's glory, his weight, his very essence, is the sum total of all of God's beauty, his holiness, his radiance, his perfection, his righteousness. It's all of that at once. Any of you like uh, comedian Brian Regan? You should. Um, we enjoy him around our house. He gets quoted a lot too. Me monster, and you have the floor moonwalker and all these different things, all right? Uh, but, but he's got a bit uh, out there about a kid, uh, the kids, uh, games that kids play, and one of those is the game of Sunstare, all right? This isn't a video, it's just the audio, so listen to this. We spent a lot of time out in the yard, too. My parents would just send us out in the yard every once in a while for no reason. Okay, kids, out in the yard. Okay. Run out there. Stay out in the yard. Okay. It was a hilarious bit, wasn't it? 
This is why we built the sound booth. You can start at any time. I'm just filling time. If I had three tennis balls, I'd begin to juggle. Um, this is why we built the sound booth a little bit taller so you can't see their faces. We spent a lot of time out in the yard, too. My parents would just send us out in the yard every once in a while for no reason. Okay, kids, out in the yard. Okay. Run out there. Stay out in the yard. Okay. Didn't know what to do. Just looking around. What'd you guys do yesterday? We just stayed out in the yard. All right, forget it. I'm done with it. I hate technology. Okay, anyways. Um, what, what he talks about, I'm not near as funny, but what he talks about is this game that uh, he would play with his friends and said, okay, the record for Sunstare is five seconds. And then he would say, you know, his friends would say, one, two, three, four, five, six, and he beat the game of Sunstare. All right, seeing how long you can stare at the sun. Because the greatest picture that we have, that, I mean, the closest, and it's not even close, the closest analogy we have of what, um, of, of what God's glory is like is the sun that is in our sky. But if we think the sun is bright, it's nothing compared to the glory of our God. Revelation 21, 23 tells us that the city, heaven, has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city. So the glory of God is so bright that heaven no longer needs sun or moon. So God had to be thinking, you don't realize what you're asking for here, Moses. I'll show you my, if I show you my full glory, you're vaporized, you're gone. So God tells him, starting in verse 19, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I will make all my goodness pass in front of you, he said. Moses asks for God, for, for, for God to show him his very essence, his worthiness, his weight. And God replies, I will make all my goodness pass in front of you. His essence is goodness. See, our God is good to the very core. His person is holy and righteousness, righteous. No evil can come from him. Psalm 119.68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Psalm 92.15, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is, a, there is no wickedness in him. Psalm 100, verse 5, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. And, and listen, maybe at Christmas time, that truth is a tough one for you. And you really wonder if God is good. You really wonder. Because you might be thinking, Well, if he's so good then why did this happen to me? Why did this relationship break down? Why did this crisis come? Why did they have to die? And I can't answer those questions with a blanket statement. That would be uh, unwise and callous. But what I can say is, uh, maybe in some of those situations, you are reaping what you're sowing. That you might be saying it's a trial from God. And when, in fact, it's just consequences of your own sin and rebellion toward God. I've had those. I can't dismiss that. I can't dismiss it as, well, this is from God. It's not from God. I'm reaping what I'm sowing. It, maybe it's just simply because we live in a fallen, broken world. It's been fractured ever since Genesis 3. That death and hurt and sickness and loneliness entered this world in Genesis 3 in the fall. Maybe it's just a result of that. 
But one truth I can cover it all in is that Creator God, the God of the Bible, is infinitely good. No evil can come from Him. And we know this not just from personal experience, but, but because the Bible tells us so. God can be trusted. He is worthy of our worship. His, his, his glory is worthy of our complete devotion to Him. So God tells Moses that I will make my goodness pass before him. And then he tells Moses how it's going to go down. Verse 21, Then the Lord said, There is, no, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. So Moses, you're going to hide in this rock and you're going to shimmy back into that. Moses, no, no amount of SPF is going to protect you. Your little tanning bed glasses are not going to protect you from my glory. You're going to, I'm going to jam you back into this little rock and then after I pass by, I'll pull back my hand and you'll see my back, but you cannot see my face. This happens and Moses' face glows for days. It, it, it is radiant is what Exodus 34 tells us. It freaked people out. It was so uh, radiant. One moment of God's radiance, His glory, holiness, perfection, goodness, one fleeting, passing, backside moment with His glory. And Moses' face lights up like a light bright for days. Light bright was the greatest toy ever. Now they have an app for that. Brother. Black paper, colored peg, pegs, light. That's all you need. Light bright. God's glory, His goodness, His weightiness is overwhelming to Moses. On His face was, was the reflection of the glory, the essence, the worthiness of God. Now, if you have a Bible, let's go New Testament now. Uh, book of Hebrews chapter 1. In the New Testament, toward, uh, it, it's uh, toward the back of the Bible. If you don't own a Bible... Uh, stop by Guest Connections, grab one off there, call that your own. Uh, we would love to give you and hook you up with a good Bible this morning. So here in Hebrews, we're going to see this connection between uh, the glory of God the Father with the glory of God the Son. The Son, the, the, the life and the birth that we celebrate here during Christmas time. Hebrews 1, starting in verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, He has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance and through the son he created the universe. Verse 3, the son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Now we learn here that Jesus is the brightness of of God's glory, the exact representation of who God is. Jesus is the essence of the, uh, of the image of our God because He is God. He is radiant and worthy and holy and righteous and powerful. One basis, one part of the foundation of our faith is that God's character is best seen through the Son, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself spoke of this. John 5, 519, a couple examples. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own, own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, 
that the Son does likewise. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that Christ is the image of God. Colossians 1.15 says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. God the visible, God the invisible can be seen in the, in, or seen in the visible God-man, Jesus Christ. The glory, the goodness that made Moses' face glow for days can be seen in the life and work of Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. It does not get better than that. He is the essence of who God is because He is God. See, we, we, we sing, and we should sing. We sing, show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. Bring your glory to us. And that's good. But in the Christmas story, we're reminded that He already has. He already has. His glory came to this earth, took on human flesh, was born to poor parents, worked a blue-collar job, died a criminal's death on the cross. Philippians 2 tells us that he took on the very nature of a servant and became obedient to the point of death on a cross. He was not simply a good man, a great teacher, a historical figure. He was the very Son of God, the radiance of God's glory and weight and worthiness and essence. All throughout history, Scripture has been pointing us to a person. The Old Testament telling us of this promise that would come Prophecies such as Isaiah 9, 6 that, that told us 700 years before Jesus was born that a child would be born, a son given, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. That he would, there would be four descriptions of who this child would be. I mean, when Heather and I were picking out names for our kids or envisioning their lives, those were not names or descriptions we thought of with our kids, we might have thought, you know, handsome or beautiful or wise or, or bold or generous or faithful. Or, we might have thought about those kind of things, but we never thought everlasting God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We never thought about that because this child was different. This was no ordinary baby. Jesus was God in the flesh. And here we see in Hebrews, the, the writer reminds us that, that now the promise has come. The promise that God would send a Savior, a Messiah, came in Jesus. That God's glory has been revealed through His Son. Jesus was the best message ever preached, the greatest song ever sung, the the most important prophecy ever fulfilled, the greatest birth ever celebrated. The very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus is promising, Behold, I'm coming back. Be ready. Get ready. I'm coming back. And then he describes himself this way in verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 2 Corinthians 3.11 tells us that that the glory found in a growing active relationship with Christ is a glory that does not fade away. Eventually, Moses' face did not glow. He did not have to cover his face with a veil forever. But if you're in Christ... If you've turned from your sin, you're walking in faith and obedience to Jesus, then we have this hope of heaven, a glory that does not diminish over time. So we don't have to hope that God will show up or show us His glory. It's been revealed to us in Christ. He's already done it. He promises to never leave nor forsake. If you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from His love. 
John tells us that no one and nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Your life has been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 says, and your past has been redeemed and made new. 2 Corinthians tells us that your, your old creation is gone, the new has come. You're not enslaved to your sin anymore. You don't have to be the person that you were before Christ because He's making all things new. He's given you life and breath and salvation and hope. He's forgiven you of your past, present, and future sins. Through Christ, the God the Father has adopted you as a child of God. You're no longer rejected, but accepted into the family of God. Sometimes what we say is, God, we, we just need your power. I mean, I've said this before. God, we, we need your power. Lord, Lord, we want your presence in our lives. We want you to come through on your promises. These are the things we pray for sometimes. These are the things that come out of our mouths. But we have Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've received him into your life, then you've been given the Holy Spirit as, as a deposit to dwell within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So we already have power. So we already have His presence. His promises are good, Scripture tells us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. 2 Peter 1.3 By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. We have all we need in Jesus. He is the King. He is the Savior. He's the glory of God in the flesh. And in this life, you and I, we've settled for things far less than the glory of God. Romans 1 tells us that we have chosen to worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. The, the creation is, is intended to point us to the Creator, but we say, forget the Creator, I'll take creation. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And the, this thing, this person, this relationship, this sin, this habit, this pursuit, this lifestyle, we say, forget you, I'll take this. This will fulfill me. And then it falls way short of the glory of God. We think that the essence of this, whatever this is, will fulfill us. Find us, give us salvation, give us purpose, give us meaning, give us love. But all we have is we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This Christmas season through the hustle and bustle, the busyness that is the American Christmas season, can you and I see past the fluff? Can you see past it, past the earthly things on display and, and be reminded of the glory of God on display in the Christmas story? Here is a perfect, radiant, holy, righteous God. And at Christmas, we are reminded of His pursuit of us. We are broken, sinful, fallen, fractured, imperfect, rebellious, proud people. And I'm just describing myself there. I don't know if you can relate, but this is what Scripture tells us. In relation to God's glory, Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory, of His perfection, of His beauty, of His holiness. We've missed the mark. 
we haven't even been aiming in his direction. And we, we are natural, we are born, our natural selves are born in direct opposition to our creator, to this great holy God whose glory would overwhelm the brightness of the sun in the sky. And because of our sin, we sit under the judgment of our God and the wages of our sin, the penalty of our rebellion, of our pride is death and eternity separated from God. But here is God who is just and who does not let go sin, who does not let sin go unpunished. This God saying, I will make a way possible for salvation to come, for salvation to be found from this judgment, to find forgiveness for sin, and to enjoy what it's like to be in a relationship with your Creator, to enjoy abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10. And so here is God who sends His Son, God in the flesh, to this earth on a rescue mission to save us, to live a perfect life sinless life, and therefore serve as the only acceptable sacrifice for our sin. And through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation is offered by grace alone through faith alone. And so as God's creation, we are called to respond to this free gift of salvation through faith and repentance. To say to God, to say to Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I'm no longer going to walk that way. I'm going to walk toward you. I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to walk in faithfulness to you. And I'm going to believe that what you did on the cross was enough for me to find salvation. My faith is not going to be in myself, my upbringing, my, my background, my good deeds. My faith, is, my faith is going to be solely in Christ. And that you died for my sins and you have forgiven me completely through the cross. In communion, we're going to celebrate communion here in a minute. In communion, we are reminded that God has sought us out. He has pursued us. He has made a way possible for a sinful people, for a proud, rebellious, stiff-necked people to find salvation, to find forgiveness, to find peace. This exchange happens on the cross where our unrighteousness gets dumped onto Jesus's shoulders and we take on his righteousness we are clothed in his righteousness now that is good news that that exchange is possible you don't have to be a member of cross point to take communion the bible says you need to be a believer in and follower of Jesus Christ if you are today we welcome you to take communion with us and prior to doing that I encourage you to examine your own heart and life to confess where there is an attitude and an action contrary to God in your life. Don't carelessly take communion. Don't walk through it flippantly. But get honest and get humble before a God who loves us, loves us enough to send His Son Jesus to this earth. Ask God to search your heart. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Ask Him to reveal what needs to be confessed, what needs to be celebrated what needs to be prayed some of you here are not a believer in christ yet but you can give your life to christ this morning in a remodeled steel building because i i I truly believe that that god has appointed today 
December 2nd being the day that some of you will give your life to Christ, that you will stop walking this way and turn around and walk toward Christ. And begin, and, and your eternity, your eternal destination will be forever changed and your life here on, the, on this earth will be forever changed. And, and you do that through prayer. And, and, and could we just do this? Could we all pray? And if that's a reflection of your heart, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I just encourage you to pray these words after me. The words are not magic. The words are a reflection of the attitude and, and a humble spirit that he has given you and a desire of your heart. So let's all bow our heads. Let's pray. If that's a reflection, I just encourage you to pray after me. God, I thank you for your love. God, I ask your forgiveness for the way that I have rebelled against you. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that because of Jesus, everything has changed. I turn toward you. Jesus, you are my Lord and you're my Savior. You are the King of my life from this day forward. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And if, if that's a reflection of your heart, if, whether it's you committed your life for the first time, you've recommitted your life, you just kind of wandered away and something has gone awry in your, in your heart and life and today's the day you just come back to Christ, so to speak, then I, I encourage you to take communion with us, to not remain in your seat, but to celebrate that, that His body was broken, that His blood was poured out for you and I. And as a result, everything has changed. Uh, there are two tables in the back and uh, a couple stations at each table. And what we'll do is we'll walk toward the outside aisles and we'll walk back behind the partitions. You can have two lines on each uh, table and grab a cup, of the, uh, a cup of the juice and a piece of the bread and return to your seat and just use this time. I, th I think it's fitting, you know, on the first Sunday of December that we just, we just slow down and we just reflect a little bit. And we remember that uh, uh, the beauty that God's glory is, is visible through the image of His Son. Visible through his, his birth and His life and His death and His resurrection. And that one day He's returning. This is good news. This is good news. And it should uh, cause us to just pause a little bit and reflect and worship and, um, and our hearts should be changed as a result. And so let me pray. Let's stand up. And uh, let me pray. And we'll take communion together as a church family. And then we'll, we'll eat the bread and drink the juice together as a church family. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for uh, the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. And I thank you for the picture of communion. That here we have an opportunity to remember that and to worship you as a result. And I pray that you would change us, transform us, renew us, all for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, <clears throat> took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the, new, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. The amazing thing about God's glory, one of the amazing things, is that if you're a believer, as children of him, we are then called to reflect this glory to the world around us. Paul tells us that, that even now in our Christian lives, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. We are being made more and more into the image of Christ through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. No, we're not surrounded by visible light. But Jesus says we are to be the light of the world. That those around us would see Christ's glory reflected in our way of life. I would love for you to wrestle with that question this week. Is, is our lives reflecting the glory of God? Are they revealing the Savior and Lord that we supposedly love and serve and worship? Or are they revealing something else? I mean, what a great challenge as we move into December and we have uh, gatherings with family and with friends and with coworkers and, and all these things going on. How can we reflect the glory of God and be the light of the world to the people around us? Because as believers, that's what we're called to do. Not simply be amazed and awestruck at His glory, which we should. And it should drive us to worship. It should drive us to, uh, when, we, when we have a better picture of His glory, it should put into proper perspective the sinful pursuits that we sometimes chase after instead. It should put into light the circumstances and the, oh, I had a bad day, yeah, but what about God's glory? It should put into perspective some of those things, but it should also cause us to live differently in a way that honors Jesus and obeys Jesus and is faithful to Him and faithful to His Word and as a result is a light to the world, a testimony to the Savior that we love, the Savior that we celebrate at Christmas time. Father, I pray that as a church, as believers, as followers of You, that we would do that. I pray that our entire lives would bring You glory. Our public, our private lives, our, our lives at school and at work and with family and everywhere in between. I pray our attitudes and uh, every action would point to you. I pray that we would do it all for your glory, all for your honor, all for your name to be lifted up, not for our name, but ultimately for your name to be lifted up. I thank you that you've called us to be a city on a hill, to be a light to the world, and I pray that we would do that. We love you, Jesus. We love you. I thank you for saving us. I thank you for forgiving us. I thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.